Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. No, like, no, 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 and the media that he uses to control the world is television. It's 2024. I can't even remember the last time I recorded an episode for this. I think it was Succession Season 3. But I'm back with my man, Jason Madison. We talked about Succession. We talked about Euphoria. We talked about Winning Time all the way back in 2022. And now we're reunited to do our top 10 TV shows of 2023. And I know what you're thinking. Yes, it's January. It's the end of January of 2024. Why are we doing top 10 shows of 2023 now, Maze? That doesn't make any sense. But I don't know how you feel about this, Jason. I don't subscribe to the idea that you have to get your top 10 lists out in mid-December because everybody's trying to go on vacation and they just want to clear the decks and move on to the next year. We were right in the middle of two shows that I really liked, and I didn't feel like I could call it a list until we finished The Curse and Fargo, which we'll be hearing about later in this episode. But Jason, how do you feel about the mass hysteria to do your Spotify wrapped and your top 10 list before December even starts? Yeah, I feel like it's really crazy to try to wedge everything in when I feel like a lot of stuff is really the best stuff comes out at the end of the year. Right. And so, and that goes for music as well. You know, I always remember like the Jay-Z releases or the top rap releases will always come out between Thanksgiving and new years. And, um, yeah, the same usually goes for film. You know, I remember seeing 
Django, great debaters and things like that, like on Christmas, on Thanksgiving with my family, you know, throughout the years, throughout the seasons. And, and it usually leads right into award season. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's the other part of it. And it makes it so tricky because people are dealing with the holidays. Nobody, everybody's hyper-focused on everything and nothing at the same time. So you feel like, oh, is this a good time to put out a list? Is this a good time for content or somebody to read something that I've written or said about uh, this? Uh, is it going to get lost in the shuffle? And then you come to January and you feel like, well, technically it's not that year anymore. We're on to a new year. But most of the time, people aren't really ready to get into the throes of the new year or, you know, there's nothing significant happening about the year content or media wise yet other than the awards. So I feel like it's kind of a good January is kind of a good time to clean out the the house of all the old stuff, get to get the Christmas Christmas tree out the front door type of thing. And that's what these lists are basically. So yeah, it's a good time. I think that's exactly right. Cause what happens to the show that comes out in December and ends in January, you're not going to remember it by the time you're doing your top 10 at the end of the year. Exactly. It just gets lost. So yeah. that's the way I operate. If it starts in the year before and it ends in the next year, it's going in the year before. And then if it started in January or later, that's what makes a list. So mm -hmm. I've been keeping a, top 10 list since 2017. I'm proud of myself. A little pat on the back there. And it's been interesting to look back and see one, how my thoroughness has evolved, but also, you know, what has risen and fallen. There's some shows that have come in hot and stayed hot. There's some other shows that have started hot and faded that picked up, but I want to look at this 2022 list and the two things that stand out to me are that my number two show Andor, and my number five show severance both did not come back in 2023 still it's waiting on both of those it's crazy that you mentioned those two specifically because as i was going through my uh top 10 i was like oh what were the shows that i really loved 2022 i was like Andor, where's severance and i was like neither one of those shows yeah aired this year and Andor, so, I know, had a lot of setbacks with the, the writer strike. strike. Yeah. But Severance is the one that I would have expected a second season fairly quick. I mean, it's it is a, a beast of a show. It is a heavy lift for Ben Stiller and Adam Scott and all them. But yeah, that's the one that I am. That was the debut that I was most anticipating, even more than the bear, which we'll talk about later. Yeah. But that's what stands out to me. And now we're going to spin it forward. 2023. We got some honorable mentions here. I want to start with two of the weirdest shows on television that I don't know how to leave out, but I also don't know how to put higher than they are. And that's how to with John Wilson season three on HBO. And I think you should leave season three on Netflix. So we got Tim Robinson and John Wilson, two of the weirdest white dudes on the streaming services. Jason, do you like either of those shows? I don't watch either of those shows. I've seen I Think You Should Leave. I think Tim Robinson is hilarious. But I don't know if I have the patience. I have to be in a certain mood to watch that type of comedy. Under the you know? influence? Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I'll let you take the reins on that. <laughs> How to with John Wilson, I think you would actually like a lot. 
because he he's a very antisocial dude with a really kind of high-pitched nerdy voice Mm -hmm. but his whole thing is that he's an extensive documentarian he's one Mm -hmm. of those guys that always has a camera in his hand his Mm -hmm. shows are usually comprised of a lot of b-roll that he has compiled over who knows how many years like you have no idea if it's a if it's footage from this year 10 years ago Oh, wow. where it is it's it's always almost always in new york but like yeah he'll be talking about something and he'll have an overflow owing trash can he'll have pigeons eating massive amounts of spilled day-old baked goods he'll have crazy people on the street it's kind of like humans of new york as mm-hmm. a show right <laughs> but then he does go on these adventures and have these kind of narrative yarns that he rips like he had a episode where he someone wanted him to go to a Mets game and when he goes to the Mets game the Mets game gets rained out but when he's at the Mets game in the rain he meets a guy with a shitload of Mets pins and then he mm-hmm. follows that guy home and then he's talking to him for 10 minutes and it's just like where are we going what what is happening here yeah and yeah. as a as an editor it's all in the editing. This dude just yeah. shoots everything that he does every day of his life and then finds it later. Right. And there's three seasons of it, six episodes a season. It's on HBO or Max or whatever. And he's done, I believe. I have no idea what's next. I, I think this might yeah. be it for him. Yeah. And then I think you should leave. You've seen the memes, people. You've seen the memes. If you want to understand what the memes are about, just find yourself some legal cannabis and partake in the Tim Robinson experience. Also on my honorable mentions, and I know we've talked about this a little bit, is Slow Horses. Season yeah. three from Apple came out this year. This is their third season in two years. They cranked out two seasons last year, six episode seasons. Gary Oldman as a flatulent, constantly eating, sloppy and cranky, ornery fuck. But he also happens to be an exceptional spy and agent. And it's about his bumbling cast of basically failures in England. And it's a tight little spy show with a good amount of humor and Gary Oldman having the time of his life. Beef. Beef on Netflix, Jason. Did you see Beef? Yes. Beef is one of the best shows from last season or last year. Um, Great cast. Um, Ali Wong, Stephen Yoon, um, they were exceptional. It was a show that you didn't really know where it was going to go when it started, you know? Um, and it, it took some interesting turns. And I, I think, like, the production design, the casting, the writing, um, you know, the, the drama, the comedy uh, was all very, very well done. Um I guess people are asking for a season two, but it yeah. feels like it didn't warrant a season two to me. Like it seemed like very much like a limited series, but it was so good and so well received that people wanted to see these characters interact again. But based off of how it ended, it didn't really seem like, like what are we going to see from, you know, like, Exactly. Where where are we going to go? It's like if you ask for a season two of The Curse, which we'll talk about later, but beef escalated 
the whole season keeps escalating, 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 gets crazier and crazier. And the season two thing comes from the creator because Mm -hmm. I heard a podcast with him where he said that he had a lot of ideas for season two. And that took me, that took me by surprise. I didn't, I didn't get that. You did it. You made your show. It was good. Seems like you could just make a new show. Right. Do you want to bring back the same people and do that? That's cool. But yeah, the idea that he's got all these ideas for season two, it's like, okay, I guess, I guess somebody's probably going to give him money to, to figure that out. But they, they figured out the modern loophole, Jason, which is you make a limited series and you call it a limited series. So you win all the awards but then you just make a season two, it's like it. White Lotus. White Lotus has has definitely broke the broke the brains of the award show folks. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's like all we have to do is start off in this one umbrella, and if it works, then we can get into the larger umbrella, and nobody's gonna complain. No, none the wiser, right? Um, so yep. everybody's like, "Wasn't that a great limited series?" No, actually, they've already started shooting season two, but we're giving right. them the trophy. It's it's just a peek into how the the Emmys awards and the categorization of the Emmy awards is maybe a little bit behind the times that they can keep getting fooled like this. But I did really enjoy Beef. I think right, right. we and all knew Stephen like, Yoon was great, but Ali Wong was the one where it's like, okay, she's got a little more in the toolkit than we might have thought. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know that she had chops like that. Obviously, I've seen her on her Netflix specials. And I thought that she was a great stand-up. Um, you know, she's she's got the one where she's pregnant. She's got a couple of other ones. Um, and she gives a hell of a performance on stage. So you could you know that she can emote well and that she knows how to, you know, work her way around the room. Um, but you never really know, you know, same kind of with uh, Nathan for you and, and Nathan's acting chops. Like, mm-hmm. you don't really know how somebody is performing when they're not being themselves. And so, uh, her playing this character, uh, she, she was fantastic. Yeah. Shout out to university high school, San Francisco, Ali Wong representing for the Bay area as she is known to do final honorable mention is reservation dogs. Did you ever watch this show, Jason? No, I never got around to it. I heard good things about it. Um, and then I, you know, obviously they were, uh, speaking in relation to Killers of Flower Moon, um, because, you know, this is all about uh, Native people. And that seems to be a um, uh, running theme in this year's uh, television and film. Um, yeah, it's a awards. rising community yeah. in the scene. Also, the a guy who plays Brownie in Reservation Dog shows up as the head of the tribe in The Curse. The guy who kind of wanders into the construction site and like looks around and Mm -hmm. is always kind of kissing his ass and trying to make sure he's happy. He's from Reservation Dogs. He plays a huge stoner named Brownie. Okay. I have never been as high as some other people on Reservation Dogs, but I've always enjoyed it. And it was a little surprising to hear that this was going to be the final season, but that's because they felt like they really tied up a lot of the main storyline in season two. And so then season three shifted into this more widespread look at the community. And instead of focusing in on the res dogs, the kids, 
you spend a lot more time with the adults and the you even have a time a flashback episode to basically a dazed and confused homage of the grandparents as teenagers that was kind of cool that needed probably at least another episode to like really lock into it but it was really ambitious and cool and then the ending was incredible in the last two episodes they bring in ethan hawk as a guest star as one of the res dogs alora's long lost father and they basically have a, a two-hander between alora and ethan hawk where she spends a day tracking down and then meeting essentially for the first time as an adult her father and then the final one is a beloved member of the community passes away and it's a incredible way to end the series it brings the whole community together you get to see the rituals of funeral and celebrating the life of someone in the community and yeah i mean it it was kind of a messy season and then they closed it so well it it had to it had to be mentioned so there you go honorable mentions jason what honorable mentions do you have for me here yeah so i have one and um it's only an honorable mention because i think it's actually a deserved its own category and that's oh. dear that's <laughs> dear mama uh the tupac series on fx it was a five-part series done by albert hughes um and it's probably one of the most phenomenal things I've ever seen in my life. Um, partially, uh, it's very subjective because I'm a Tupac fan. You know, I met Tupac when I was a kid. Uh, he came to my school famously at Marcus Garvey school, um, you know, rap to keep your head up, all these things. And so I've been a fan of him since I was, you know, very young and very invested in his story and, you know, the Black Panther aspect of his story. And so the thing about the miniseries is that you go in kind of thinking, oh, it's Dear Mama, it must be about his mom, right? And it actually tells the story of Tupac, but it starts with the story of his mom and then integrates how important she was to his story. But it definitely tells his full story uh, that does not include her um, after it gets through her portion of the story. Uh, just make sure it makes sure to uh, include all of the um, you know elements of his life that she was influential in, um, and it takes a lot of uh, interview from his aunt, which would have been his mother's sister, uh, and giving detail about his life and who he was and who uh, you know Afini was, her sister was, and there's a lot of other great interviews in there. You know Snoop Dogg and a bunch of other. Um, you know, Black Panthers and other people. Uh, but the great thing about the series uh, is the footage. Um, so the Hughes brothers shot some of Tupac's videos. They shot Brenda's Got a Baby. They shot... Um, mm, it's escaping me right now, but they shot a few of his videos. Maybe, Maze, you can pull it up. Um and so they have all of this footage that was shot in 35 millimeter film. So when they're reproducing the footage today in 4K, uh, you see Tupac like you've never seen him before. Because if you think about it, and we're watching these music videos in the 90s, we don't have the high resolution uh, screens that we did, you know, uh, and back then. So we're seeing this in a clarity that we've never seen it before. And 
it was breathtaking. You know, it looks like Tupac just shot these videos yesterday because 35 millimeter film, if it's kept and preserved properly, it looks great. And so you see, you know, I'm mad at you, toss it up. Um, there's footage from Tupac the night he got killed out in front of, um, or backstage at the Tyson fight after the fight was over with him and Suge. And it's just, it's breathtaking. It really is. And then obviously, you know, you've got a bunch of audio from him that you haven't heard before and things like that. And they do a lot of things with the stems from the songs and it just makes it very captivating uh, to hear his narrative told in his words uh, in crisp and, you know, concise form. And to get that perspective from other Black Panthers and other people who aren't in the rap sphere, you know, and that's the whole thing is that we hear the story of Tupac often told as a rapper, but he was much more dynamic than just your average rapper, right? And we all know that about him. And so to hear it from the people who helped construct him as a human being, uh, Shock G as well, um, who didn't really have everything to do with rap, um, it makes it really a, comp a compelling piece. I'm seeing that the the two music videos directed by the Hughes brothers are Brenda's Got a Baby and Trapped. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There might be more than that, but that is what I'm pulling up. And he was supposed yeah. to be administered to society, but did not. Right. Yeah. And, and, the film. Yeah. And so one of the one of the great nuggets from the uh, the miniseries is, you know, Tupac famously beat up um, one of the Hughes brothers. I forget which one. Um, because of a dispute they got into about menace to society. And they end up admitting that Tupac was right. And so even in that, they reveal another uh, nugget that shows that he was even more right. Because if you think about it, these guys were kind of unknown filmmakers. I mean, they were known, but known as much as maybe somebody like me, right? Somebody who's made film... Uh, music videos or rappers that were regionally successful, but nobody in Hollywood would know who I am, right? And they had a script that that uh, New Line Cinema was willing to greenlight if they were able to provide them a star that they could attach to it. And so they used Tupac's name, and that was what was able to greenlight the film, basically get the funding for this movie, Mr. Society. Tupac wanted to play the main role they didn't want Tupac to play the main role. They wanted him to play this conscious uh, pacifist. And so Tupac was like, hey, if I'm this conscious dude, why am I a pacifist? Like, that's not how this shit works. And they were like, nah, just play the role, dude. And, and he's like, <laughs> nigga, y'all only got y'all money because of me. Like, mm -hmm. And y'all are telling me to play this role that doesn't even make no sense in this movie? Like I already decided it was cool to not take the lead. Now you're telling me not to play the conscious brother who I have been raised around Black Panthers. You telling me not to play it the way that I've seen all these people be. And so that's why they got into a fight. <laughs> and I feel like Pac was pretty righteous in that argument. Now, did he need to escalate it to violence? Probably not. Right. And that's, we end up seeing like, that's the cardinal sin of, uh, Tupac's life that ends up getting him killed or that's kind of the narrative that 
you know, I end up uh, pulling from what is woven in the story is that, you know, Tupac goes through all these trials and tribulations. But the thing that he says is that he would never harm a black person. Right. And that was never his intention to do. Like, no matter what, he's going through all this stuff, fighting all these demons. And that, you know, when he does end up harming a black person, albeit, you know, for a stolen chain or whatever, um, that's the thing that is eventually, you know, causes his undoing. So, yeah, it's a great, great documentary uh, series. And I recommend everybody watch it. As a as a big Tupac fan, do you find yourself to be more inclined to be interested in something like this? Or did you hold it to a higher standard because you're a filmmaker yourself? Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm 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 hypercritical. I actually one of the things I have two I have two things in my life that I say. Um I say I hope I die without ever having to eat Arby's and then um also without ever having to see that Tupac movie that they made that Benny Boom directed. I'm never going to watch that movie. Never. So you don't want us to bring you on to Cinephobe to do the Tupac movie is what you're saying? No, I'm never going to watch that movie because it just looks, I just knew it was just not it. Like, why would you have Benny Boom direct that movie? It looked bad from the jump. It just, so to answer your question, I'm, I'm hypercritical of things involving Tupac, you know, and usually for the most part, they deliver, you know, like mm-hmm. they've, they've done some other documentary work on them. Um, Rose from Concrete, I think is another thing that came out. Um, they've had Tupac pieces before. And most of the time, you know, it's done by the estate and, you know, it's, it's very well done. Um, but, you know, when they get into those biopics and stuff, it gets tricky. So I, I walked into this. I, I didn't watch it when it first came out because I was kind of skeptical, you know, and I was like, I don't even know what this is about. And then somebody recommended it to me. And then I was like, all right, let me sit down and watch it. And then, you know, it, it delivered. It was a 10 out of 10. So we're going to get into the top 10s. We both made a top 10 list. We have seven overlaps. And we got a couple differences here well i'm sure we'll have differences in the ratings but we got a couple shows that i watched that you didn't that you watched that i didn't so we're gonna run through my list here you're gonna say what number you gave the pick and then at the end we'll we'll pick up the pieces on the the two shows that you watched and ranked that did not make my top 10 but we're gonna kick it off with another pacifistic iconic rapper you know there's no other way to transition from tupac than to bring up lil dicky and dave which was a season three on fx hulu this was previously an honorable mention for me in 2021 when it had season two i think he's done it jason i think i think dave bird has become the hip hop Larry David like he always dreamed that he could be. I mean, it's a great show. It's it's a great show. I think the third season might be my favorite, just the way, and I love the Brad Pitt ending. But the finale was the finale was so much clout being thrown around. He had Rachel yeah. McAdams yeah. as his love interest. He had Brad Pitt rapping an auto tune and he even had a Drake cameo. Yeah. But it's so interesting his music to me because he makes, I don't know. 
MTV had like a um a parody show, uh, a parody boy band show together. Together, yeah. You yeah, plus me you plus equals me us. Equals us. Equals you us. are my calculus. calculus. Yes, I was all and about that, it. Don't worry. Okay, okay, yeah. And so <laughs> that's kind of what Little Dicky feels like to me. Like I liked those songs in the context of the show, but it's not music that I would ever listen to in a regular setting, if that makes sense. And I think Little Dicky's music is like perfect for a TV show. You know what I'm saying? And it's the songs are really good in the context of the TV show. But it's not like I will ever listen to Mr. McAdams, you know what I'm saying, on right. streaming, like just in the shower. You know, like it's a cool song. And if I'm watching the show, it's done perfectly. Um, had you so, ever heard of him before the show came along? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, he had the uh, Freaky Friday. Right. With the Chris Brown music video. Yeah, so that was yeah, when yeah. he came on your radar? No, I had heard of him before that. I heard, uh, I heard "Save That Money." Yeah, I, um, yeah. I think, yeah, I was, I was hip to him like kind of as soon as he came out, honestly. Because um, he's he's from Philly, but he was living yeah. in San Francisco, and mm -hmm. so the very first time I heard about him, he made this music video in Alta Plaza. It's called "Ex Boyfriend," and it samples Al Green, and it's a whole rap about how. He and his new girlfriend ran into her ex-boyfriend and then they went to a bar and he went to the urinal and he caught a glimpse of the dude's dick and then he was incredibly self-conscious the rest of the song. And then and the big surprise at the end is that they dated in elementary school and it wasn't even a sexual thing. And I was like, okay, like the thing about him is that one, he can actually, he actually has flow. Like he, he can actually yeah. hang with a beat. Mm -hmm. His subject matter is absurdly neurotic and, you know, stonery. Like he, he, the, the song brain where it's just like, he's rapping to his own brain and talking about like the heat death of the universe and stuff. I mean, he's, he's bananas and he really is found his lane here. I think you're exactly right. I'm, I'm not interested in listening to Lil Dicky music necessarily anymore. Mm. Uh, I was always kind of like, Oh, this is fun. Yeah. But now that he has the show to kind of wrap around it, he, it all fits. Like it's, it's an yeah. interlude that he can do within the show that plays to his strengths. Exactly. And so it's my number 10. What was it for you on your list? Um, so I didn't really, rate these in the one through 10, I would have probably put it around eight. Okay. Um, yeah. So yeah, towards I'll, the bottom of the list. It. Yeah. But yeah. yeah I would put it towards the bottom, it's but, but, fun. It, but, it, but it's fun. It's, it's worth being on your list because it's a unique show. It's well-crafted. Every episode is different. They got cool cameos. Gate is a great, you know, second lead for them. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, uh, the the girls are always fun. Whoever's playing his, you know, his female love interest is always kind of a fun, yeah. quirky chick. So, um, or yeah, it's they, Rachel McAdams, or it's Rachel McAdams, right? And uh, yeah, and I love Brad Pitt rapping, getting in the booth, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was great. Um, yeah, that that whole finale just became a version of Misery and the fanatic, yeah. and you're wondering why that person's there, and it just escalates and. It, ha it had a Mechel episode, which yeah. I like just in the sense that that's a culturally significant thing. 
that I've never seen anybody try to do a satirical or even honest look at. Mm-hmm. And Jack Harlow, who I really don't like, was hilarious in that episode. Yeah. yeah. Talking shit to him and generally generally telling him to back off the white guy rapper corner because Jack yeah. Harlow's here to take it. Like it was and the looking for love tour and him faking his own death. Like it was just a good season, man. He had a lot of good stuff going on. Yeah. I really, really enjoyed the uh, faking his own death episode. I thought that was kind of the highlight of the show so far for me because it played into everything about social media, fame, narcissism, lying to your audience, you know, like just the whole thing. Like, what would you go to? Like, what links will you go to, to make it? And what, where is, where does your morality really lie? Like, you know, um, I thought that it wasn't even his morality. It was really more like his anxiety and guilt. Right. That, that drove him to actually tell the truth eventually. But yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, uh, it was a very strong season. I'm a, I agree with you. I think it was definitely the best one so far Mm -hmm. and it doesn't seem like he's going to stop making it anytime soon. Nah, he's he's definitely uh, still going. So, um, nah, yeah, I'm I'm excited for what they got coming up next. I know Penis just dropped. Penis. <laughs> um, I haven't checked it out yet, but it's. It I don't, I don't think know, it was this fun. season. I think it was season two where. It's season two where he's like fucking a flashlight with a VR thing on his face, and it, the scene just <laughs> yeah. keeps going. And I'm like, wow, he's really just gonna keep doing this, huh? Yeah. (laughs) He's certainly not afraid, so that's good. Next up on my list, number nine, The Last of Us, season one on HBO, HBO Max. There's a lot to like here. You got Pedro Pascal, you got Bella Ramsey. You have the format where essentially it's a different location every week. So you got an ability to bring in new guest stars every week. You have the standalone episode that everybody went crazy for with Nick Offerman and Murray Bartlett as the tragic lovers that my mom dipped in and watched just that episode and didn't watch the rest of the show because she has no interest in a zombie apocalypse. I like the production design of the the mushroom monsters. I think it's done a good enough job separating itself from the walking dead and even station 11, which is a really tremendous show from a year or two ago. How did you feel about the last of us, Jason? Yeah, this was closer to the top of my list. Um, I think I'll put it at either three or four on my list. Uh, mm, I thought it was fantastic. Uh, I was, I had seen Bella Ramsey before. I don't really remember what I'm. She was uh, in the Game of Thrones. She was the little, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. little um, Liana Mormont. Yeah, Liana Mormont. Yes, of course. Um, thanks for jogging my memory. Um, but yeah. That's what I'm here for, Jason. <laughs> and obviously, Pedro Pascal has been on a just uh, insane massive, white hot run. <laughs> yeah. So uh, they got him right in the middle of it. And. Yeah, he's just burning up the screen the whole time, you know, uh, as Joel. He's great. Um, I didn't know about the video game. My my friends, you know, put me on after I um, started watching the show. And so, yeah, I, I just thought 
the cameos, the Storm Reed episode was probably my favorite one. Oh, interesting. Um, the mall episode? The mall episode I thought was really good. Um, yeah, my favorite was the one with, I'm blanking on his name right now, but the brothers. The oh, Deaf the brothers? Brother. Yeah, the Deaf brother. That one was episode really good. Episode five. Too. That's in Kansas yeah. City. That one was the the standout to me. But, but yeah, you know, the nature of it was such that, it's, and we'll talk about this a little bit later with another show on my list, Poker Face, but with the, with the, serialized nature where each episode is kind of a distinct story that left you a little more open to have a episode that kind of fell flat to me. Yeah. Like the yeah. cannibal episode. I was okay. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I felt like the, like you said, the production design was incredible. You know, the giraffe thing and all yeah. of that st stuff was really, really cool. Just how they, you know, they made the world in a, very um what's the i am legend type style mm -hmm. you know uh and so in, in terms of zombie fair like you said in comparison to the walking dead and a lot of other you know even 28 days and uh world of worlds and stuff like that like i really liked the design of the zombies just kind of like the interaction that the humans have with them and um you know just just the general vibe of uh you know, the communities and the fireflies and all that stuff. Um, that was really well done. And then for the ending, you know, I think it was just kind of like the perfect kind of, you know, we want to see some real, real conflict, right? It's like mm -hmm. they're trying to murder Ellie and Joel is going to do, you know, what the, a father figure would do in that, yeah. in that scenario. And, um, and it, it it's going to make everybody, you know, run online and say, what would you do in this scenario? And, oh, he should have did this. And what were they going to do with their brain? And, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so it makes you ask a lot of like philosophical questions. And, I, and that's what makes the show so rich to me, you know, is that it, it makes me think about larger world things, you know, way after the show's over, you know, it's something that I just never forget about. Right. Yeah, I want to I want to circle back to the the ending in a second, but you stoked my my memory here. So it was made by Craig Mazin who mm. made Chernobyl. And All I really right. like Chernobyl. Chernobyl was my fourth number 4 show in 2019, but yeah. the production design carried over from Chernobyl. Like that's what mm. really was strong to me was the attention to detail and like the the way that you take something and age it essentially or damage it or make it look like it's been there for however long. And I thought the CGI held up like when they were in Boston and stuff like that. I thought that was really tremendous. Uh, I never played the video game. Never. I mean, I haven't really been much of a gamer at all, but I know that it did a pretty damn good job of being faithful to the video game, partially because it was co-written by the creator of the video game and because the video game was always intended to be a pretty cinematic game um and then Pedro pascal the heater has continued he's now going to be reed richards that's how far it is carried him forward he's going to be the the centerpiece of the fantastic four which disney is really banking on being the turnaround for marvel because they've been in the shitter you won't find a marvel show on this list but let's go back to the end. 
of Chernobyl, or sorry, not Chernobyl, of The Last of Us, and the decision, the decision, but then also the decision to lie, which we know is going to cost Joel in season two. And so part of that, I guess, you know, it's, it's tough in a situation like this where you are following a script because now I already know that that's going to cost him going into season two. Like there's no, there's no ambiguity about it. And so I I guess I just wonder like, how do you feel about, it was kind of like, you know, the whole season we've been working to get to this theory of a miracle cure, this theory of the firefly outpost that's going to fix it. And then in one clean swoop, that hope is erased you know, they were going to kill her and, and use her brain to maybe do something, but Joel put his foot down and probably like you said, is, is getting a little too paternal. He's, he's reverting back to the feeling of the, of the premiere and and the premiere was sensational the as well. Was, the first the premiere was crazy. Yeah. That was a great episode and the escape yeah. and all of that. Yeah. And yeah. it was really a tremendous show of, of, uh, flair, but yeah, I mean, I, I I remember feeling a little boxed in by the finale, and I remember feeling that you know I I get why there's no room to be flexible, and if you you make a different decision, then you got all the diehards who are jumping down your throat. But I I know it's supposed to make me feel morally conflicted, but I remember feeling like that felt a little too scripted at the end. When you say too scripted what do you mean by that the decisions that were made and just the way that it like it all happened it all happened very very fast Mm -hmm. and it's hard for me i guess to reconcile that it needed to happen that way i know i know that's kind of dumb to say but but do you are you saying that that the fireflies would have been less hasty in killing her no i i think I think it's more, I think Joel was a little superhuman in the way he was able to just cut through everybody. Oh, well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, I think, that's, I think yeah. that the fact that there was no point where like they get there and then he's out and then he's awake and then she's on the operating table and we don't even get a scene of anybody talking about it. And the way that this thing that we had propped up as the saviors, the doctors are wiped out so quick that we don't even, you know, there's no context for them. I don't know. I, this is, this is a fuzzy memory, but what I am, I think that is what dropped it down a couple notches for me was like, there was so many highs and there was very few actual legitimate lows and lulls in the narrative but I remember coming out of the finale being like, okay, that felt a little squeezed and rushed there at the end. Yeah. I, I think I can agree with you on, on that part. I, I was wondering if you were saying like, more, like if they could um, maybe make us want to feel a different way in terms of like, maybe he shouldn't have done it or did he have another option? Because like, I feel like that was kind of his only way to go, you know, like, yeah, it was fucked up that he killed the lady you know, um, but, you know, the whole concept is like these people have this kind of 
one mind aspect of like, this is what we have to do. Once we get somebody who's immune, we have to kill them. We have to take the brain. We don't care. We don't care. We don't care. And then there's no rational thought or any type of, you know, governance behind that. It's just mm-hmm. like, this is the only thing that we can do. Um, and so I feel him in that way because, you know, obviously I, I'm, I've been online, I've been on Reddit, I've been on all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, why don't they let her have kids or like, there's maybe, you know, like populate some other, you know, immune people. Like the fact that you're killing the body of the immunity, don't you think that might also kill the immunity with it? Like, I don't understand how they rationalize that as like the immediate way to harvest the immunity is to murder it. Seems kind of backwards. Yeah. And there was no conversation. There's no scene where anybody's talking about that. You know, it's, it's right. so cut and dry. So yeah. And I, and it's cause it's, it's cause it's how it was written for the for game. And, game. Yeah. and I get it, but like that, that's the only, that's the only place where I really bumped on that at all. And that's mm-hmm. kind of an achievement in itself. Also, I just remembered the cold, the cold, cold open to the very beginning of the show itself, which is like a three person panel. And the guy's talking about mushrooms and the, the fungus spreading it was it was a really well made show, um, but yeah, I for, for whatever reason this is a crowded list, and it is at number nine. Moving on to number eight, could not go in a more sideways direction here, but fucking love this show. It's the Righteous Gemstone season three, HBO Max, previously number nine in twenty twenty two, man. I keep trying to find ways to put this show higher on my list. It's so goddamn funny. It's so good. Every single member of the cast is doing tremendous work. The characters are well-written. I love Danny McBride. I love Jody Hill. I love that they've built this new North Carolina semi Southern home cooking empire out there like they shoot everything out there they they set up shop out there it's kind of like how vince gilligan set up shop in albuquerque like i'm i'm into this idea that you just make your own production companies outside hollywood you get a little different feel for it and baby billy bible bonkers is just fun to say jason baby billy's bible bonkers it's god's favorite game (laughs) it's god's favorite game (laughs) (laughs) Um, man, Walton Goggins, what a revelation. Um, he's just, I mean, Danny McBride has to be thanking Christ for <laughs> meeting the Walton Goggins. Cause after vice principles, which I thought was a pretty funny show, mm-hmm. uh, then bringing them him back to play this role, which is kind of a side character. Um, and he's gotten a bigger role as the show has uh, progressed on. It's just amazing. John Goodman as the patriarch, Eli Gemstone, mm-hmm. hilarious. You know, he's the straight man. And then all the women are funny. All the women in the show are hilarious. Edie Patterson, I, I have to ride for her because she is still my favorite character, I believe. She's Judy Gemstone. And man, I just, yeah, I can't get enough of her. She was also in Vice Principals as 
kind of the, a crazy woman in the school who ends up having a sexual dalliance with Danny McBride. And now she's playing his sister, but yeah, she, she's tremendously talented. I love her. Every time she comes on the screen, everything they did with her BJ this season was fucking hysterical. And then pretty much every season has a self-contained arc, you know, last, last season it was Eric Andre and then I'm trying to, there's like another part of it. And then this season it was Steve Zahn and Shay Wiggum. Shay Wiggum and yeah, Shay Wiggum is the fucking race car driver. Yeah. But yeah, Steve Zahn and then the woman from Third Rock from the Sun, Kristen Johnson, who oh, I haven't yeah. seen in a decade plus. But yeah. they find people who fit the vibe. They find people who can come in and, and play jazz with them and. I never want this show to stop. I wanted to keep going. Yeah, we need I eight seasons. It. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, the Redeemer, um, the fucking monster yeah. truck, man. They just yeah. end this season with a with a monster truck montage of them running shit over and hanging out under the tree. Everybody yeah. laughing and smiling. It's just a good time. It's really a good time. It, it makes you believe in Jesus. You know. <laughs> That's true. And, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't sure I was on the fence a little bit, but you know, I might have to head down to that gemstone mega church and give them my life savings at this rate. Gotta do it. Number seven for me is poker face. This is a show that you didn't watch Jason. So this is going to be me pitching it to you real quick. It's created by Ryan Johnson. He did the pilot it stars Natasha Leone, and she is essentially playing Columbo. Every episode is a self-contained murder mystery. Or I, guess, I think it might. It's usually a murder mystery. At the very least, there's a crime that's been perpetrated. And she has the ability, myth, mythical, magical realism, not totally explained, the ability to tell if you're lying or not. Does she look into your mind and read your mind? No, she can just tell if you're lying. So if you told me, oh, I love Poker Face. I watched every episode. Natasha Leon would say bullshit, which is her catchphrase. She calls bullshit. And that's where the Poker Face title comes from. Once again, it's a, it's a series where every episode can be completely different. They have different writers and directors coming in to do this and different guest stars. The highs are really high, though. There's an episode called Orpheus Syndrome, which stars Cherry Jones and Nick Nolte and is essentially a takedown of Kathy Kennedy and the and her husband, Frank Marshall, is the and then the guy who like the set design person from Star Wars is essentially who Nick Nolte's playing. And so it's this like very on the nose look at like a filmmaker producer and then also wait wait wait, wait. Yeah, yeah let's get into that yeah because i don't i don't really know that story i, I mean obviously i know who kathleen kennedy is i know who yeah. frank marshall is but i didn't know that they were married and mm -hmm. i didn't know that there's some on set goings on so it's not necessarily like the story matter from the episode is like applying to real life but if you will remember that ryan johnson made the last jedi 
And so he fell directly into the Star Wars orbit. And obviously there's a lot of controversy involved in that. So even though he didn't have a writing credit on the episode and he didn't direct the episode, there's definitely some more than like not quite subtle shots at Kathy Kennedy in this episode. Cherry Jones has a very Kathy Kennedy haircut and uh, I'm trying to remember who Nick Nolte is supposed to be playing, but essentially like it's, it's critiquing, it's critiquing the, the star Wars empire and the production house behind it. Um, tip it, tip Phil Tippett. That's who it is. So Phil Tippett is a visual effects supervisor. He worked at, Industrial Light and Magic and DreamWorks. He worked on the Star Wars trilogy, Jurassic Park, RoboCop. Um, and Nick Nolte is fantastic as this crusty old, you know, that's the only thing Nick Nolte can play. But, the, but, what's, this, but what's the T? Tell, tell me the story. What's what I'm saying is that there's not really like, it's about a murder. Like her, her oh, Kathy so there's not like a, there's not, it's not like a love triangle or anything. No, no, no. Kathy Kennedy's. Oh husband gets murdered and then it's revealed that she did it as a cover-up to hide this footage of a murder that happened in the 80s um and nick nolte is involved because he was on set i believe when they were making the 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 old movie but it's more or less like you watch the episode it's a great episode on its own right but then when you factor in the (laughs) what ryan johnson is clearly how he feels about Kathy Kennedy and all of star Wars. It's just, it makes it extra delicious. Then the okay. next episode after that is escape from shit mountain. And it stars Joseph Gordon Levitt as a douchebag under house arrest. And so it, the highs are very high. Like you can, you can hit this level where it's like a really good mystery in an hour with some really high pedigree talent in front of the camera, behind the camera, Natasha Leone, you know, I love her. I understand that she's a little hit or miss to some people. Some people don't like her. <laughs> Multiple cigarette New York vibe. But if you like Russian Doll, which was a very Natasha Leone centric show, you'll probably like Poker Face. And I don't know when it'll come back because it's kind of expensive to make, but it was definitely a great show this year. Number six, Jason. Now, this one, I know that we're going to have to talk about a little bit. It's The Curse. It's The Curse. It's on Showtime. It's on Paramount+. Plus. It's Nathan Fielder. It's Benny Safdie. It's my queen, Emma Stone, the greatest actress. She's on an absolute heater. You want to talk about a heater, Pedro Pascal? Try dropping The Curse and poor things at the same time. So I will pass it to you. We talked about this. That was kind of the impetus of this whole podcast was yeah was talking about the curse so what are your thoughts ah uh, the curse what a fantastic weird unsettling unique masterpiece made by three of my favorite creatives who it's interesting because you don't realize people are your favorites sometimes and then one day you wake up and you're like oh i completely love everything this person does Mm -hmm. and sometimes when they collaborate with other people 
who do that and it kind of knocks you on your ass, you just don't even know what to say. And that's what happened with this because I loved. So I randomly stumbled on Good Time like Mm -hmm. a couple of years before, I think a year before Uncut Gems even came out. Mm -hmm. Because I I just, you know, I'll leaf through movies on streaming services and see what's going on. I saw Robert Pattinson and I was like, what the fuck is this? And I thought it was great. Then Uncut Gems came out and I thought that was my favorite movie of that year. Um, Then uh, my friend who uh, loves Tim, uh, what's the guy, Tim Robinson? Robinson? Yeah. And... Dr. Steve Brule and Tim and Eric Eric. and all that others, like the weird comedy stuff, Eric Andre, he put me on Nathan for you. So we always watch Nathan for you together. And it's, and it's in that whole league of comedy and it's, you know, it's an A plus and all of that, you know, category. Uh, Then Nathan did the rehearsal, which I think is the most unique uh, special show I may have ever seen. I'll tell anybody about that. I mean, that was a true show of artistic genius if if I've ever seen it. Mm -hmm. And then you have Emma Stone, who I've liked since Superbad. I never thought that she was going to be this unique superstar. When you when you're watching like these teen movies, and you know, obviously, especially when they have like males male centered teen movies, you know, like even. Project X or, you know, whatever, American Pies and things like that, which Natasha Leone was in American Pie. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not thinking Emma Stone is going to be the actual superstar in the movie. She's actually bigger than everybody who's in that movie, right? Um, No disrespect to Jonah Hill or Christopher Mintz-Ploss or Michael Sarah. Jonah had it for a little while. She's blown right past him. Blew right past him. Um, So, yeah, everything I've seen, Emma Stone, I mean, I didn't even... I don't even particularly love La La Land. And that's how good of an actress she is, is that like, (laughs) I didn't love the movie, but I was like, she's fantastic. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't even think this is that special, but she's so good. Like, it's I can't even not like it, you know? And that's how she is in every role. Like, I don't have to love everything about the piece in particular, but I know that she's going to knock it out the park. So when the three of them got together and made this show The Curse, I was super locked in and they did not disappoint Every episode has all those elements in it. It has her amazing acting, Nathan's fucking weirdness, and Benny's direction, and his also weirdness, because he plays a weird character in all his movies as well. He's in Good Time. He's in uh, he's in Oppenheimer as well, playing a mm-hmm. normal person. But he's in Uncut Gems. Yeah. He's also on The Heater. Um, so... He's on such a heater, he broke up with his brother. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, You got to really be feeling yourself to do that, dude. Usually you break up with your wife, but he broke up with his brother. But that happens. The Coen brothers didn't do that for like 30, 40 years. I know. I know. But the The Wachowski brothers are still together, right? I think they broke up too. They broke up too. Because only one of them directed Dear Mama. Mm. Yeah. Wow, that's tough. Yeah, Wachowskis broke up. I mean, it happens. Um, uh, which house is a little bit different, but we don't, it is. A yeah, we don't have to get into day. that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the curse, yeah, I'm, 
I'm it's with just, you 100 percent on Emma. Yeah. I've been in since Superbad. I've been in love with her since Superbad. But it was Easy A when Easy A came out. I'm like, man, okay, this girl can really do it all. She can mm-hmm. carry a whole movie. She can be funny. She can be dramatic. I believe her, and she's only gotten better. But yes, let's let's dig into the show a little bit. So let's you got it. these three people coming together creatively, and the. The whole show is shot unlike anything that you've ever seen. The whole, every camera angle is voyeuristic. You feel like someone's in the closet or outside the house or in the car behind them for everything. Somebody's shoulder. I kept waiting for that shoe to drop. I kept waiting for it to reveal that Benny Safdie's character has been making a secret documentary on them the whole time without their consent. That's what I was waiting on. That's what the first episode kind of presents you, right? Is that when he's like whispering to the mic guy, go get mm -hmm. this and go do that. It's 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 always live. Cameras are always rolling. You you, you have to be on, on guard because there's no, (laughs) there's no relax on this. Right. But, but but the real twist is, is that he's one of them. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not like he starts, he presents himself initially as an outcast from them. And oh, like, look at Ash. And he's kind of making fun of them. But by the end, he's at, when they're in the car rapping together, they're no different. <laughs> they're uh, no shout different. Out to dead press. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, they are two peas in a motherfucking pod. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I, <laughs> I think they allude to it, but the idea is that they went to Jewish summer camp together, right? Yeah, and that's exactly. where they're friends from. Yeah. And that is that is maintained. You can feel that connection and it's just some real fuckery that these two have been into since a very young age. And yeah. Benny Safty's character's probably been making fun of Asher since he was twelve years old. And now right. look look at Asher. He's got himself a, a rich hot wife, so he can go masturbate in the in the bathroom and <laughs> talk shit to himself about how other people like his hot wife cherry tomato boys cherry tomato boys yeah <laughs> i mean i think the premiere is still my favorite yeah i think the first episode because i i went back and rewatched it and like the first time i watched it you know you're feeling it out you're kind of getting used to the horrible anxiety of the vibe and the yeah. creeping doom that all the music and Everything makes you feel, but the second time around, I was laughing so <laughs> hard. Yeah. There's so much there. Yeah. You could spend the entire show just watching Emma Stone's reactions mm-hmm. to every single thing that Asher does. Yeah. Nathan Fielder does. Nathan taking notes on how to be essentially a human being the whole <laughs> time. And that's beautiful because it's like, how far is that really from Nathan Fielder, the person? It can't be that far. It can't he, be that far. He does try to act human a lot in Nathan mm-hmm. for you in the rehearsal. It's a lot about being an alien and trying to understand human emotion and human experience. And mm-hmm. so to make Asher essentially too vanilla to function, like he's so boring and unfunny and has such bad empathy and understanding of how other human beings work that he's a walking train wreck <laughs> yeah. in, the, in the acting class that he gets kicked class out of the acting class because everybody's sick of his shit i mean that was hilarious like the fact that i was wondering what is he gonna do 
that's going to make me uncomfortable right now. When he was sitting in that chair, as it's going around to him, like the tension was just building. And I was like, can he do something that's really going to make me yeah. like weird it out? And he did. He really did. I was really like, why would you make that fucking weird ass noise? <laughs> like, I want to crawl in my skin right now. But and yeah, then you no. cap it off with the appearance on Jimmy Kimmel where he comes oh, yeah. out dressed like a color me bad video and Emma is essentially has to be the straight woman during their interview circuit. I mean, he's, he's on his own level. The fact that he connected with Benny and Emma and yeah. they played in his sandbox is, is awesome. I mean, it was a, it was a study of how awful people can be is my short log line. I hate right. HDTV shows. I hate reality television. I hate woke white people who think that they're saving the planet by making impossibly expensive, impractical, illogical, ugly homes. The whole element of Kara, the artist, which I know, which you, okay. So I want to circle back to that in a second, but, but yeah. bringing in, bringing in the tribe and bringing in the self-righteousness about the tribe and bringing in the, the native American artist that Emma Stone claims is their friend. All of it was, was incredibly well executed, but you asked me at one point oh. is Kara secretly the worst person on the show. And so I want to hear your explanation of that. Okay. So I've thought about this. I think the elephant in the room in the show is, and nobody really, and it's funny because nobody has talked about it. Nobody will talk about this aspect of it. Is that a lot of the Native people, Abshir, they don't have jobs. They, they're not really contributing to society. They're stealing. Um, but obviously, this is part of this capitalist society that these white people are running, Right that they're all uh, victims of for generations, right? They're just born into this capitalist kind of dump that they didn't ask for this, right? These white, these white, obviously Whitney is born with a silver spoon in her mouth. Her parents are wealthy landowners. They're giving her loans. They're giving her property. You know, she hasn't really had to do much of nothing. Asher, I don't know how he got his money or what his upbringing was, but you know, it's obviously that he has some privilege, right? And so I think the interesting societal conundrum is that both of these groups of people end up having pretty terrible traits about themselves, but the ones that the indigenous people inherit seem to be as a result mostly of the conditions that they were brought up in. But that doesn't absolve them of how they act, right? You can still be a good person, and that's the thing. They still choose not to be a good person when they can, right? Um, they don't have to interact with these people. They don't have to choose these locations. They don't have to steal um, or whatever, what have you. But it just, that's what makes the, the show so interesting and complex. Now, is Kara the worst person? No, but she does some pretty awful things, right? Yeah. yeah. 
She's so, complicit. I would say yes. her biggest her biggest sin is complicity. Um, and and maybe I would I would if I had to pick the worst person on the show, I'd probably say uh, Whitney's mom. <laughs> <laughs> because at least the dad is like giving his daughter money and trying to help her out in like a, a kind of way, right? I mean, he kind of makes fun of her a little bit and saying like, "Oh, it's alone," like ha ha ha. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's in his weird way trying to be buddy buddy with his son in law, and so he's trying to do something. But like the well, mom, is, small dicks. I mean, right, right, exactly. It's gotta, it's gotta connect, right? But the mom doesn't seem to serve any purpose or any use or do anything but complain and kind of yell at wit and like just seems just kind of like the worst part of this whole like ecosystem like she hasn't done anything hasn't built anything but lives off of everything tells everybody what they should be doing how they should be living their life but obviously and luckily we don't spend too much screen time with her but mm-hmm. if i had to rank the characters and terribleness i think she'd probably be the apex predator and then we probably moved to Asher and then Wit after that and then everybody else. I think I got Whitney number one, but that's fine. You know, that's why we did a, a top 10 here is we have differences <laughs> of opinion. But right. one thing I wanted to bring up is when he gives Abshir the house in the finale yeah. and he thinks it's going to be this really well-received gesture and he's essentially doing it because he wants to give Whitney poor people's happiness. And then Abshir immediately comes in with all the practical, logical questions. Like what about the property tax? Are you going to get these documents handed over today? Like there's an inherent skepticism that this is actually happening. There's no joy. There's absolutely no joy at all. That was an incredible subversion of expectations, which the show has more or less done the entire season. But My also, biggest but also, complaint is that I want more curse. <laughs> but also, Maze, there's the kind of the subtext as well of like, oh, you're giving this to me for sure because I'm about to flip this. Like, I'm about to sell this. Right, shit. he's gonna sell it. Yeah, 100% like, he's gonna sell it. Yeah, he's like, all right, for sure. He, like, he's got 260 grand. He like, how much is it worth? Okay, can you have it done by today? For sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, let's get that. Let's absolutely. run Absolutely. <laughs> right. It's and and Nathan looks like a chump. Yeah. You know, he looks right. like a chum. He got played essentially, even though he played himself. He played himself. Yeah. And, and, and the finale, the finale is one of the more jaw dropping things I've ever seen. We I think the finale another... is my favorite episode. <laughs> okay. Yeah. There you go. I, we could easily spend another 15 minutes talking about just the finale. Yeah. But man, it was, it was great. I loved it. Like you said, you hope they work together down the line again, I like the Cohen brothers and. Francis McDormand situation without the the marriage. Exactly. I Nathan Fielder is must see TV. Whatever he does now is an immediate. I'm going to check it out. And Emma Stone hasn't made a bad choice. So love them both. And Benny Safdie too. He's having a great time too. Shout to Dougie. Number five on my list. Abbott Elementary. Wow, look at that. A network television show in season two on ABC. And you want to talk about messing with the timeline of what show belongs on what list when? That show ran from September to spring. It was 22 episodes. And they took a lot of breaks. They took breaks for holidays and all that shit. 
it's finally coming back for season three in the beginning of February because of the writer's strike and everything. I fucking love this show. It's an old school mockumentary. Look at the camera sitcom. Every character is amazingly written. Every actor and actress on the show is killing it. I don't really have too much to say beyond that, Jason. I don't either. I think it's a great show. Um, I'm equally amazed uh, by um, Quinta Brunson's uh, just how prolific she is in writing and creating this show. Um, All the characters are incredible, well thought out, well fleshed out. Uh, These are all teachers that everybody could recognize, all humans that people can recognize. it's funny. It's great for, you know, all ages. It's perfect for ABC, you know, the evening television. Um, I'm so happy that she's getting awarded for it. I mean, it's, I think this is the best thing to happen to TV maybe in the last decade. Like, and I'm so happy that, you know, she's the one doing it. Honestly, she seems like a great person. And like, it's just good to have something wholesome, you know, yeah. like, to to have like family those friendly yeah to have that modern family type of vibe to have that like you know hate to say it the Cosby Show type of vibe but you know it is what it is like to be able to get that and to nail that down and to do that in a consistent well done way that's not corny or cheesy I mean it's corny but in like the most in the best like, way in the best way possible. Um, yeah, they, you know, the, the will they, won't they, right? Like, yeah, is Quinta and uh, everybody hates Chris all grown up. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Tyler James Williams, I think is his name. Yeah. Are they going to get together? Are, like, th- they're going to string that along as long as they can. It's Jim and Pam from the office all over again. And yeah. I love it. And it's corny and I don't care. Yep, exactly. And, and give me 22 more episodes this year, next year and for the next 10 seasons. So and I love that. You know, Cheryl Lee Ralph is getting her flowers and singing yep. songs at award shows. It's just good, old-fashioned, fun, lovable television. Your mom, your grandma, your nephew, your girlfriend, everybody can love this show together. Everybody, and your I dog. Appreciate it. <laughs> like, your dog loves it, yeah. <laughs> like, that's how good it is. Eagerly... Exactly paying attention to every second of it. Number four for me, another reason why this list had to come out late is Fargo season five on FX and Hulu. So this is wild because the first season of Fargo came out in 2014. Billy Bob Thornton, Coen brothers, homage, the whole thing, Noah Hawley, who I think is one of the better TV showrunners out there. Season two comes back. It's even better. We get a flashback. It's the flashback season. It's like the same care. It's the Carradine character 20, 30 years earlier, played by Patrick Wilson. That's when Kirsten Dunst and Jesse Plemons met, fell in love. They're married now. Season three, kind of weird. Ewan McGregor playing twins. Season four. Some good parts. I like Jason Schwartzman in it and it's Kansas city and it's Chris rock. That was not great for Chris rock, but there was definitely some good stuff in three and four, but it was not nearly as 
cohesive as the first two seasons. And then all of nine years later, we get it to return to form. You got Juno temple from Ted Lasso doing the Minnesota accent playing a goddamn superhero. You got Jennifer Jason Lee as this frigid, you want to hate her, but at the end she wins you over tough talking CEO business lady. You got John Hamm playing an absolute prick as a sheriff who plays by his own rules, essentially, you know, being a make America great again type antagonist. It's talking about debt. It's talking about abuse. There's a lot of ideas. There's also a Anton Chigurh type character played by Sam Spruill named Mook. And it made me rewatch No Country for Old Men, which I had not written off, but definitely didn't enjoy as much as the rest of the world did in 2007. Yeah, man, one of my favorite movies of all time. It was awesome. I loved rewatching it. It was so technically precise and just a really, really well-made movie. And yeah, Fargo, Fargo hit all the notes, man. I'm, I'm glad it's back. Uh, Noah Hawley's about to do like an alien show. And so fingers crossed that it's good and we'll see what happens there. But yeah, really love Fargo. we're getting into the, the top tier. We're getting into the real deal. Next up for me at number three is Barry. Season four, the final season. This was previously number three for me in 2022. So holding that spot. I think, Jason, that this was the only show that benefited from COVID. And my thinking behind that is that Bill Hader had season three written, but they couldn't shoot it. So he went back and he rewrote it thinking with season four in mind. And also this is when he made the leap to directing every single episode of the show. So this is just like how many people have been the writer director star of anything like my list right in here is Donald Glover, Phoebe Waller bridge and Orson Welles. Like we're talking Orson Welles territory with Bill Hader. It's dark. It's funny. Noho Hank is one of the greatest pure comedy. Wait, are, are you talking just TV? Or are you talking film? I mean, it's the star that separates the writer director in film. I mean, cause we got Spike Lee. That's true. There you go. Yeah. yeah. And he, I mean, and he stopped being in front of the camera 30 years ago. Yeah. Like after what, like, uh, is it Malcolm X is probably his last prominent role. I mean, he was in girl six, but even then he's not the main character, right? Like he's the main character character and and do the right thing, do the right thing. And uh, school days, he's a side character. Um, Uh, what's the, it's it. uh, she's gotta have it. She's gotta have it. That's the one where like he's the lead. So there you go. So that's, I mean, that's another very impressive name. And then he, you know, and I think that's probably accurate. Cause I feel like Bill Hader will probably shift to a more behind the camera role going forward, but we'll see, I guess. Um, I, 
I don't have a lot of quibbles with it. I really love the experience of watching it. I, I, I found Sally to be one of the most hateable characters in television history, but you, anytime you can elicit an emotional response of pure unadulterated hatred out of me, you're doing something right. It, it defied all classification. It's not a drama or a comedy. It's just a show and man, I'm going to miss it. Definitely going to miss it, man. Um, yeah, I thought No Hank, No Hank's character was a unique character. Hadn't really seen a guy portrayed like that before, um, and that was really dope. Um, I thought my man, uh, who's Barry's mentor, that went to jail. Oh yeah, the Raven. The Raven. Um, yeah, that's the. He's also he's a, in No Country for Old Men, and he's. Uh, yeah. I don't know why I can't think of his name. Stephen something, right? Stephen Root. Steven Root. Yeah. Steven Root. He's a great character actor. Love that guy. Um, but yeah, Bill Hader's amazing, man. He's one of those people. He reminds me of like a Dave Grohl, um, where he started as one thing when he was a younger guy. And as he got older, he just got better and showed how versatile he was. Um, and so I thought that Barry, this season of Barry was kind of a culmination of all that. Um, Obviously, my guy, the Fonz, uh, you know, what brings Henry Winkler, it brings a lot of uh, energy and gravitas to the show. Gene Cousineau, a great character. I think the most memorable character from the show is Gene Cousineau. And um, I mean, I think that's a testament is that all the characters fucking hit. Yeah, no, he's great. Cousineau, Uh, the Raven, Noho Hank. Hank. Like Sally. all those dudes are, are next level Sally and like Barry is probably the most forgettable no, character. Definitely. Like he's, definitely. you know, I think, I still think that Bill Hader's given a great performance, but as he became more of like more focused on directing, like he's, he's giving other people opportunities to really shine and yeah. kind of being a straight man in some ways. Yeah. The show is less about Barry, right? It's about yeah. the other characters and, re- and reacting to Barry's actions and things like that. And, um, yeah, I, I'm going to miss the show because like you said, it wasn't a comedy, it wasn't a drama. I think a lot of things are in that category, but, um, this was unique, you know, in that way, like it had some little action moments as well, but it was just fun to watch. It was a fun watch. I never saw an episode that I didn't like, you know, um, and I really enjoyed it all the way up to the end really broke my heart when uh killed Barry. So yeah. The Sean Fennessy did a recap podcast with Bill Hader for mm-hmm. I think the last two seasons. Mm-hmm. And hearing him talk about making it, first and foremost, he's so humble. It's unbelievable. Yeah. He's your classic artist who is unsure if he's even made good work. Like the way he talks about it is kind of like, Oh, so-and-so had this idea and you know, I kind of worked it out. Like he's, he's not braggadocious. He's not expecting you to get anything out of it. He's just kind of like, yeah, I thought this would be fun. I thought this would be cool. He went out of his way to praise so many people on his staff, production design, all the way down to like, you know, random grips and stuff like that. Like he was, very, very generous and 
considerate with the way he talked about making this thing. And it was just a triumph, man. Like, I, I wonder if he'll make movies. He's a big movie, like cinephile. He's watching old ass movies that no one's ever heard of unless you're a right. real head. Like, right. He's definitely a criterion collection type of guy. Yes. Um, but yeah, I see, you know, not to get his personal life, but I see he's, he's dating Ali Wong now. Yep. He's great. Also, I love also on our list. Yeah. So I would love to see maybe them work together on something. Um, it's funny when uh, I saw the Mr. and Mrs. Smith thing that came out, I was like, man, it would have been actually dope if it was them two. <laughs> but, um, yeah. That's, so we that's got Donald Glover and Myers kind. Will that be on next year's top 10? Stay tuned folks. <laughs> Stay but tuned. I, but I would just, I just want to say like, I hope a show like Barry, because it wasn't highly awarded and it wasn't genre defining, doesn't get lost to the sands of time because I feel like sometimes shows like this, because it wasn't Breaking Bad or it wasn't Succession or it wasn't Seinfeld or whatever, you know, like the bear, it wasn't the comedy, ha ha ha, it's always sunny. It was, you know, it didn't fit in those categories that it just kind of lingers in the ether and people stop talking about it. Um, and I just hope that people don't forget this show because I think it was really special. That's interesting. I do feel like it was overshadowed while it was on. I don't yeah. feel like it got nearly enough attention outside of, you know, some critics and some nerds like uh, yourself and myself <laughs> here on this yeah. podcast. But yeah, I mean, I think it kind of depends on what he does next and what he wants to do next. And so I'm, I'm eagerly anticipating whatever that is. I will yeah. miss the show now that it's gone. I get why it had to end the way that it did. That's going to lead us right into number two, which for me is the bear season two FX Hulu. I was definitely somebody who was trying to tell everybody to settle down last year. I had it seventh. I was like, okay, this is good. I like it, but let's cool your jets. Okay. Let's not just you immediately me that. this thing. I was telling you, I was telling anybody, I was telling anybody who would listen. I'm like, okay, we get it. It's a good show, but there's a lot of other good shows. And then this season happened and I was blown away. It's from the very beginning, from the beginning sequence where it's, you know, you got this little montage of like getting ready to go. You got Carmi in the basement or you got Richie in the basement and Carmi comes down like, Hey, what the fuck are you doing? And they have this incredibly deep conversation. Richie's talking about purpose which obviously gets paid off in the fishes in the forks episode. You got Carmi talking about how he loves cooking, but that doesn't mean that it's fun. And he got me. That's how I feel about a lot. A lot of things that I love are not necessarily fun. Like if you put in work and you really bust your ass, that does not mean that it's going to bring you joy. Like it means that you might feel proud of it for a second when you're done with it, but it does not mean that, you're going to be smiles and doing cart, you know, cartwheels and rainbows are going to come popping out of your ass every time you do something. So, I mean, the, the fishes episode, the, the guest cast they brought in for that is essentially a movie. It was an hour long. The forks episode immediately after was Richie learning how to stage. I love the way it's made. I love the characters. I love the way that it treats food with care. 
I love the way that it shows the rawness of family and emotion. Everybody on the show is killing it. Wow. Give me more of the bear. So you're basically saying I was right. If that's what you choose to hear, then by all <laughs> means, Jason, dude, give yourself a nice little pat on the back for that. All right. I still I'm, think the first, I haven't gone back to the first season, so I'm not going to crown the I, first season retroactively or anything like that, but I just remember going on a specific diatribe about the bear. I don't remember which pod it was that we had, but I was talking about it and you were like, Oh, it's cool. And you know, um, I mean, I was more excited about severance at the time. Right. Right. What understandably so. Yeah. But I, I saw the bear for what it was and I'm glad that it delivered on its promise. Um, this, it's one of the best seasons of television I think I've ever seen. Um, the Denmark episode. Yeah. Uh, Marcus gets it. forgotten. But yeah. The Copenhagen so I, episode where he's living on the boat with the imaginary cat. Great. Yep. With uh, Will Poulter. Shout out to him. Mm -hmm. um, the episode, the finale when they're opening the restaurant is great. Um yeah, let me let me bump a tiny bit on that. So when Carmi gets locked in the walk-in mm -hmm. and then he happens to air all of his grievances right when uh, the girlfriend his, walks, his girl by, walks up, that okay. was a little forced to me. That was yeah, the yeah, okay. only moment in the whole yeah, yeah. show where I was like, okay. Yeah, yeah, I got you. We just need I, to I stir the pot going into to season three. But three. Molly yeah, Gordon as Claire is another fantastic addition to the cast. Yeah, I was more so um, really keying in on the uh, Jamie Lee Curtis scene outside the restaurant. Fantastic. Um, where, she, thought, where she unloads on Pete, of all people. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> which I thought was great because he plays that character, you know, just excellent, like uh, right on the outskirts of the family, right? Like he shouldn't be hearing all this information. He shouldn't be the one that she's trauma dumping to. Mm -hmm. But that's sometimes how life works, right? And um I just thought that was very well written. Um, obviously, uh, Io, is that how you pronounce your name? Yeah. Uh, uh, she, yeah, she's been uh, receiving all the well-deserved acclaim for you know her work on the show. Robert Townsend had a great cameo, a yep. few of them. No, I, th I think that's the testament is like the people that they brought in for guest roles or for recurring roles shows how well respected it is within the industry if so many people are getting these scripts and saying hell yeah you know olivia oh, yeah. coleman for 30 seconds like robert oh, townsend yeah, right. is yeah and then the fishes episode which you know bob odenkirk um jamie lee affirmation uh, john mulaney sarah paulson um i mean they stacked that episode to the gills you know what i'm saying oliver platt is already a series regular mm -hmm. um as the uncle and um you know, and Barenthal, uh, you know, making his appearances yep. as the as a brother in and out. I think, you know, they they really have just an incredible cast. And obviously Jeremy Allen White is, you know, making this his star turn. So uh yeah, I love this show, man. I think it's a great show about family dynamics, um, you know, keeping everything raw and real, about uh, you know, doing the thing that you're great at might not be the thing that you love. Um, you know, it's a lot of, you know, things about life, love, death, you know, the, your passion mixed with your love life, all that type of stuff. Um, and then, you know, the, let's not forget, you know, Tina, um, another 
you know, people in the, in the restaurant and mm-hmm. obviously cousin, um, and, and that forks episode, right. Which was yep. widely heralded as the best episode of, uh, television this year, which I personally agree with. I think that was the best episode of TV that I saw. I personally connected with it. The strongest, yeah, like, you especially know. cause you know, they worked Taylor Swift into it. So how could exactly. you, how, how could you get I? out of 2023 without a Taylor Swift reference had to be done? Couldn't, couldn't do it. Yeah, I mean, I, I I go back and forth. I mean, I think I think Fishes is more of an achievement. I think Forks is a better episode of television, especially like to fit into the narrative of the show that they've been making. But it's it's excellent, man. I I can't wait for more. Uh, I love cooking too, so that that's really an ele- added element is just thinking about food and the way that they consider food and the scene where where Io makes the omelet, you know, and like she. I, I heard interview with the creator. She worked her ass off to actually learn how to make that omelet that way. And that's like a very famous omelet by some French chef. It's dope. It's just a great time. It deserved to move up, but it is still not the number one show. And that is because there's another show that holds the belt. Another show that deals with family dynamics. Much like the Righteous Gemstones, there's a patriarch, there's two boys and a girl, they're all pieces of shit. It's succession, guys. Come on. What are we doing? It's rightfully getting its Are you forgetting lap. about Connor Roy? He's not a real Roy. He's from a different mother. What a... He's, that's just like, just like Kendall did, you know? Like the eldest boy. I'm the eldest boy. The piece of paper is strong. Uh... What a ride. I mean, Man. it's hard to think of a show that's been better executed front to back. Like it's, uh, it's up there on the, in contention with the wire and with the Sopranos and breaking bad and any other show you want to throw up there as an elite show, I always have a soft spot for lost one of my favorites, but they left no meat on the bone. It was perfect. They ended it. The only reason that it feels like they ended it too early is because we would have all wanted to watch another season of it. They subverted everybody's expectations by taking out Logan early. And then you have six episodes or is it seven episodes after he's dead where you pick up the pieces. I thought the, I thought the election episode right into the funeral episode was peak peak succession as good as it gets. We've talked about this show, you, me, and Nando back in the day. I mean, yeah, I don't really have too much more to say about it, but what a triumph. Everybody involved deserves their flowers. Can't wait to follow them all into the next chapter. Man, Succession might be my favorite show of all time. Um, Everything you said is accurate. Um, I grew up in Los Angeles uh, in parts of my childhood, I went to school in the Valley with some very privileged kids and, um, saw some families that had experiences similar to this and, uh, to see it depicted in this way, uh, man, it's strikingly accurate, uh, bitingly witty. Um, the characters, everyone is drawn just to a T. I mean, from Tom and Craig, Shiv, Marsha, I mean, 
everybody is perfect. Uh, Brian Cox. I mean, it's also amazing. I love old people. So when I see an older <laughs> actor, when I see an older actor get an amazing role, a, a, a career defining role at the end of their life, like it's, it lights a special light up inside of me, you know? And I'm like, man, that's so cool to see somebody have a role that younger people connect with in his old mm -hmm. age, you know? Um, so that you can turn it into being the voice of McDonald's. Exactly. <laughs> no one exactly. could dream of any higher height. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then obviously, you know, the, the big dog, Jeremy Strong, the weirdo <laughs> chief in charge, the <laughs> method acting asshole, you know, like that. Yo, let's get a Nathan Fielder, Jeremy Strong project in the works <laughs> ASAP. Let's get we Jeremy Strong playing Nathan Fielder. Fielder. Right, right. Um, yeah, I mean, what, what more could you say? I mean, the dude just submerged himself in a role, right? There's obviously got to be a little bit of Kindle in him for him to do that. And the same way there's a little bit of Logan and Brian Cox, right? As nice as everybody says that he is, he's got a little bit of that smug asshole to him. And, um, and then, you know, uh, who won the awards were Sarah and Karen for who are the most fun characters in the show, which is, you know, Shiv Roy and Roman, who are just little sister and little bro going back at each other all day mm -hmm. and, um, you know, who have no business in the boardroom, really. Right. Uh, well, none but, of them do. That's the whole. But that's the, the whole show, thing. Honestly. Right. But it's like at least. Kendall thought, you know, he tried to do yeah. it and then he wanted know, it. He wanted it, right? But it's like for them, they they never even wanted to be live that life. But it, again, I won't even get into the minutiae of the show. Is it was just such a Jesse Armstrong, Mark Mylod, like so well written, well directed. I didn't realize that Mark Mylod had already directed one of my favorite shows, which is Entourage. And so it's so funny to see his hand on this um, is something that's, I would think of that's more elegant, but it's really kind of in the same vein, right? So it's, it's a similar style. It's just the window dressing's different, but it's just people's talking shit to each other, right? And around very nice tableware and cars. And so, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I don't know, man. Every line of the show is great. It it dealt with the topics of the day in, in a perfect way. Um, and it gave us some classic shit and it gave us the, the classic line of the show came in this season, mm -hmm. which is, I love you, but you're not serious people. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the hardest shows to podcast about because every single line is worth examining and thinking about every it's so airtight the script is so airtight the performances are so tight and most importantly jason they shoot on film <laughs> yeah so it'll be exactly. preserved in quality for forever forever for generations hopefully. yep yeah i mean it had to go out on top there's no other choice What are the shows that you had on your top 10 that did not make mine that we need to address? Okay. So one of the ones 
is uh, Hijack. And so that was a show that was on Apple Plus that was starring Idris Elba. So that was a show about... I thought it was a movie for at least two <laughs> yeah, weeks. Yeah, I did as well. And um, so I got into it and it was really good, man. Um, it was good in a very uh, watch this on a plane type of way, <laughs> you know, unironically. But it's, you know, it's about hijacking and figure out who who's the hijacker, who's behind it, what, you know, what do they want? And um, Idris Elba, you know, plays Idris Elba, basically. <laughs> well, I thought he played Liam Neeson. Is it weird that Idris Elba is playing Liam Neeson roles now? Is it weird? I don't, I think they're kind of the same guy, right? In movies, right? It's they're a just natural kind of, evolution of things. You just become yeah. a unstoppable force who happens to be an unknown age. Exactly. Like you, once you reach like that mid forties, like anywhere between mid forties to like late sixties, mm. you just hop in that, you know, and just do it. And so that's, that's what he does now. And so, yeah, I, I thought the show was fun. You know, it was well cast. A lot of people who I didn't really recognize. I think they're probably a lot of like British actors and things like that. Um, but yeah, it wasn't like, a. uh, you know, mind blowing show, but it was just something that kept me on the edge of my seat. And I was just anticipating every, you know, new, uh, thing that would happen the next week. So it was cool. Good watch. I'm not looking for like a season two. I think it was, you know, I think it's another one of those shows. That's a limited series. That's already being spun out. Yeah. I think they're going to do another one. (laughs) Do you think it's going to be a different dude on a different plane or is it going to be Idris Elba on a boat? (laughs) I think it might be like, somebody on a train. I think it might be a different dude on like yeah. a train. You gotta do the like Liam that. Neeson hits, right? So yeah, he did, yeah. he did plane. He did train. Plane. He did wolves. Yeah. He yeah. did the latest movie where he's in a car. Like, so you got options. Exactly. Exactly. So that's the, I think they're going to spin it. And then, um, had the bad batch, which yep, I'm a big star Wars fan. I was just showing somebody, um, Episodes four and five last uh, a couple nights ago. Um, Bad is that Batch the clone is, conspiracy ones? Yeah. So Bad Batch is an animated clone um, show about, you know, a band of uh, rogue clones from, you know, the Star Wars universe who are fighting against the Empire. Uh, and they've yeah, got so Amin, so Amin made me review every episode of the show for Rule of Two on the Mystery Create feed for Lebatard show. So okay. I had not watched season one. Yeah. I had not really engaged with it at all. Mm-hmm. And he was really ex- excited about it. And so I came in, you know, I watched like the last two or something of the previous first season, and I got on board. And, you know, I I can't quite buy in because it is still a little too simplistic, but the clone conspiracy two-parter was really good. And so then it's like, you get, you get shit like that and you're like, okay, this is tight. Yeah. And then you go back to like, we're in a cave and the cave is actually a dragon. And I'm like, okay. No, it has, because some of it takes me back to my childhood to where it's Mm -hmm. like a Saturday morning cartoon. Like you're just watching a little serial cartoon. So some of them are very like simple like that, like you're saying, but like they know how to end the show and give you something that like has some real intrigue to it. And that might add to Star Wars lore, which is what I love, you know? And so that's what they did. And I thought that 
and I think the characters are cool, you know, like, and that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. I'm into star Wars. So if you make some cool star Wars characters, there's a show about it. I'll watch it, you know? And I thought that they just did it well. How do you feel about Ahsoka? Ahsoka was pretty good. I didn't, I don't think it was good as like Mando season one, but it wasn't as bad as Obi-Wan, you know, it's somewhere in the middle, probably on a higher tier. Um, yeah. It's- yeah. Once again, I mean, and I talked about that one. I, my biggest, my biggest beef with Ahsoka was that it was all set up for season two and that we didn't resolve anything in this first one. And I get it. You know, I always get it, but when you get down the line with the show and you get to episode six and then you start looking around and going, are we going to fucking wrap this shit up? Like, do something here? Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of how I felt in what was a great movie across the spider verse. I started getting towards the end of the runtime and I'm like, Wait listen, a second. listen, uh, they, they, they tricked me. Nobody. I just watched, Sp- I just watched spider verse last week because I was like, nobody told me this is a to be continued ass exactly, movie. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Every once in a while, you need to resolve some shit for me to feel good about what you're doing. Or I'm just going to wait until the whole thing's done. And then we'll talk about it then, you know, and I have to I reserve judgment waited. until that point. Exactly. Anything else that we did not address? Yeah. Um, winning time. Ha! Yeah, man. Winning time. We'll talk about, uh, <laughs> we'll talk about not resolving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> maybe right. cutting it off at the wrong point. Sometimes right. there is no tomorrow, right, Jason? Sometimes you close your eyes and you don't open them again. And uh, that's what happened to our sweet baby winning time, yeah. you know? Ending on fuck Boston, the Lakers not winning. You make a show about the Lakers, and it ends with the Lakers losing to the Boston Celtics. If that is not the worst fucking idea I've ever heard in my life, Jerry Buss is spinning. Jerry Buss is spinning in his grave right you're now. You're a young Laker fan, you know. You're you're yeah. eight years old, and you don't know shit about anything that happened before LeBron got there. And you're like, I'm going to watch this winning time thing. And then it ends with the Celtics beating the Lakers. And that's where it stops. That's the end of the history. That's tough, man. But it, yeah, all of my beefs with winning time are production issues. It's HBO related. (laughs) It's HBO related. It's, they didn't give it the room to breathe. They didn't give it the platform it needed. Like the second season Covered four years in seven episodes. That's insane. That was weird. You, you can't pace out character development like that. that I was weird. I really liked everything with with Pat Riley and Paul Westhead, and I yep. I think the conclusion of of Adrian Brody slicking it back and putting on the Darth Vader helmet was dope. <laughs> yeah. I loved it. That's pretty much what I was waiting for from the pilot. Yeah. But yeah, man, it's it's a certainly leaves a bad aftertaste. My heart was broken, man. And it was funny. I was talking to somebody, I think maybe in the barbershop, about like how they started the series off talking. It was magic in the doctor's yeah, magic. office. And they never, they never got back around to what, ha- what happened with magic going to the doctor. We never they wrote, find out. They wrote a couple uncashed checks <laughs> yeah. in this show. And it's just a shame. I mean, that yeah, that's 
that's when the Hollywood system gets you down. You know, you can't even yeah. make winning time with all those stars and Adam McKay and all that money they threw at it. You can't even finish the story. Just good. give us one more season. Come on. We need Apple or somebody. Netflix, Amazon. Somebody. Come on, Bezos. Somebody's got to be a Laker fan. Exactly. But yeah, that was my last one on my top 10. RIP winning time, man. I mean, it was a hell of a year. I still think 2022 is a little more stacked, but yeah, that's probably just because like, like true detective night country, I think got bumped and was supposed to come out earlier, but they moved it to 2024 because mm-hmm. of the strike. Right. So this next year should be interesting. I mean, there's still some things that I'm excited for that have already been announced and that are coming out, but there, we will probably feel the impact of them not working for six months around june i would think so we'll see what next year holds but thank you so much for indulging me here jason and and running back through 2023 before we cut i wanted to just talk about the black shows i got axed (laughs) axed all right hit me what are we talking Uh, about well i mean rap shit was one you know Issa ray Lisa Ray, I produced? think. Produced? Did she produce it or did she write it? She produced it. One of my friends was a writer on the show. Another one of my friends, Cosmetic, directed a couple episodes. I think Love Life is another show that got canceled um, this year. Uh, Southside. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it was just an interesting thing that happened. I just want to make note of it, you know, um, over COVID slash during the whole George Floyd protest situation where a lot of Hollywood um, seemed like they were edging towards diversity and having more black creatives and black shows be a part of their mix. Um, And they wrote a lot of checks in 2021 and 2022 for those shows. Um, But now uh, it seems as though the sentiments have changed. Uh, around the black community and around the desire to put the funds in those directions. So, um, you know, I just think it's sad and unfortunate that uh, a lot of these creatives, uh, actors, talent, um, writers, and people, um, you know, aren't going to have the opportunities uh, to continue the the work that they were doing or um, to get more work, you know, um, off of the stuff that they were building off of so it's unfortunate yeah, i mean you, you can kind of include lovecraft country in that right yeah you could throw that in there as well yeah yeah um but yeah and i guess uh in a different <laughs> different conversation would be jonathan major's career which <laughs> he yep, was in that's love- <laughs> several different podcasts yeah. that is a whole different story i mean <laughs> yeah. i was wondering it looks like the shy is still going and is up yeah. to six seasons now yeah, Lena Waithe show on Showtime, mm-hmm. but I remember trying to give that a shot and not really enjoying I, it too much. Yeah, I didn't love the shot. That's not my favorite show. I'm not here to uh, down talk mm-hmm. it. You know, I'm sure a lot of people do. Obviously, it's been running for a while, so you know, I hope they continue to run it for as long as they like. Yeah. So, so you're saying that you think it's more like there was a. There was an Emma Stone in the curse, like wokeness. Yes, yes, exactly. Writing checks for these projects. Yes, yes. And then the support to follow them through 
to their natural ending or get them through a tough time and get them the viewership they need did not happen. No, they were all they they went on H H G go. H G C V go. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, that and that's just the way the business works sometimes, unfortunately. And um, you know, yeah, man. It's just an interesting thing to watch from from the from the cheap seats. Well, thanks for joining me, Jason. I yeah. appreciate your time. I appreciate this look back at twenty twenty three. Hopefully we can we can come together again. Bring in my dad to to talk Oscars. We got the nominations today, mm-hmm. and I texted him. He's like, "It's pretty much what I expected, so no real surprises over here." So we'll bring in Walter Mays. We'll take a look at the Oscars before the the ceremony happens, because I know you're more of a a film guy. You definitely got some stronger film thoughts, even though you gave me some great TV knowledge here on this episode. So for Jason Madison, I'm Anthony Mays, and we'll catch you next time on Queued Up. Sometime, who knows? Born on the north back, king of the east side. 50 years strong, now he's rolling in a sick ride. Handmade suits, raking in loot. Five-star general, y'all best salute. Yo, bitches be catty, but the King Kong daddy. Rock all the haters while we go roll a fatty. Squiggle on the decks, candy on the rhymes. And Logan Big brawling on Hampton's time. L to the OG. Dude be the O-G-A-N He playing Playing like a pro C-L to the O-G Dude be the O-G-A-N He playing Playing like a pro A1 ratings, 80k wine Never gonna stop, baby, fuck father time, bro Don't get it twisted, I've been through hell But since I stand dad, I'm alive and well Shaper of views, creator of news Father of many, paid all his dues So don't try to run your mouth at the king Just pucker up, bitch, and go kiss the ring L to the OG Dude, be the OG A-N, he playing Playing like a pro L to the OG Dude be the OG A-N he playing Playing like a pro L to the OG Dude be the OG A-N he playing Playing like a pro C-L to the OG Dude be the OG A-N he playing Playing like a pro when I say L, you say O, G, L to the, 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 L to the motherfucking O, G.